Hello and welcome to Just For Farmers. This is number 12, the last one in the series. It's been an absolute joy working with you. Paul sends his regards, he's not with me today. And the reason for that is because we've got someone pretty special that I personally wanted to interview just for you. You see, we've talked a lot about well-being, mental health, emotional resilience, how to manage yourself in times of struggle and crisis over these 12 podcasts. So I thought it's only fair and fitting that we finish this series with a true expert and authority on this subject. Now, Andrew Payne has been through some personal stuff, as you'll hear, but he's come out the other side. And now he's a massive advocate, a speaker and a trainer on the subject. He works in businesses, he works in all sorts of industries, helping people to be more resilient, look after themselves mentally, emotionally, and physically and I think he's got some great gold for us but before we do before we do that I want us to reflect a little bit on some of the things that we've learned we've interviewed several farmers along the way all of whom have talked about how actually it's hard and no nobody takes that away from you your industry is hard. It's hard work. It's hard to succeed consistently. It's hard to be effective. You're at the whim of the weather, the government, European funding, ex international imports and export problems. We've, 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 you know, we've, we're getting spring onions from Egypt and all, all sorts of really challenging stuff. And you guys are there battling away, trying to pay off your tractor and build a new barn and put food on your family's table. It's hard. And as you will hear during this session today, we're not going to patronise you, we're not going to belittle you. What we want you to do, please, is realise that when you're in a challenging time, it feels like you're at the absolute bottom, you're on your knees, you can barely pull yourself back up again. But at that time, when most people assume you're at your weakest, that's when you're at your strongest. Because when, not if, you stand up again, that takes courage. That takes strength. And Andrew's message today is that you don't have to do that alone. There are people out there who will help you, will support you. And instead of catastrophizing and making things up in your head about what other people in your family or friends, community or employees will think of you, you'll frequently find that if you're honest with people and sincere with people, that you'll be amazed how many people have gone through similar things, are going through similar things, or perhaps know someone who can support you properly. Please, don't go through stuff like this alone. So, enjoy this session, and uh, I look forward to seeing you on Just For Farmers. Hi, welcome to another Just For Farmers with me, David Heiner. I've managed to hide Paul in a box for today, and I've got, because I've got an extra special guest, I know, before you say anything, I know that farmers say, we're stressed to the max, we're stressed to the max. And people who are not farmers go, what do you mean you spend all day in a tractor in fields looking at the countryside? We get it. So today I've brought in an absolute authority on this subject for you, particularly male mental health, emotional health, well-being and resilience, but generally regarded as an authority on the subject. Andrew, welcome to Just for Farmers. Hey, thanks. Absolute pleasure to be here. Always a pleasure to chat to you, Dave, as well. Wonderful. Wonderful. Well, let's, let's get stuck straight in because I know you've got a busy day ahead of you. Um, two minute potted history about who you are, where you've come from and what you're doing today. OK, I mean, very quick. So the reason why I lead in my work today on men's mental health, it's not all the work that I do, but a major part of it is years and years ago, uh, my first marriage was abusive, violent. Um, and coming out of that, I was left in a, in a really bad way, financially, emotionally, all that kind of stuff. Wow. And I, I, thankfully, I had family uh, with resource. I, I was, I'm privileged in that way. Um, and I was able to, to rebuild. And I started talking about what I'd been through. And it's amazing how many guys have gone through the same thing. Like, oh, thank yeah. Lord, someone's talking about it. Amazing how many women. So I did a TEDx talk on uh, domestic abuse. Not that I want to plug my TEDx talk, of course. But um the amount of women since that's come out that have messaged me directly and privately saying it happened to my brother, happened to my son, happened to my uncle, left him in a bad way, doesn't like to talk about it. And so 
the more I've talked about it, the more I've moved more as well into men's mental health. So uh, I'm now an award-winning campaigner for men and boys. Very pleased to win that award this year. Uh, speaking up for men and boys, uh, the challenges that, that men and boys are facing, how to deal with that. Um, people sometimes assume, therefore, that I'm sort of on some big mission to stop toxic masculinity. Actually, more my mission is to say maybe toxic masculinity is not the best phrase to use as a bridge builder rather than a wall builder. Uh, and I see that phrase being used. And I've worked with schools right. that, that yeah. as PHSE teachers, they, they, they don't use it anymore because they realize actually the young men they're facing face all kinds of challenges to just paint it with a toxic masculinity brush isn't helpful. So I talk about the way men are demonized in the, in the media for a start, talk about men's health, men's mental well-being. Uh, I've got a podcast of my own men on show that explores uh, the stories of men doing amazing things because I think we need to celebrate that more than we do. Yeah. Uh, and also explore their views on masculinity, how we move forward, everything from Andrew Tate through to um, how we help men and boys, how we parent more effectively. What needs to happen in our schools? What needs to happen in our businesses? How do we form organic men's communities that are just alive and kicking and healthy? How do we do that? So that's the kind of stuff. I lead in. I do talk about other stuff that's sort of leadership related, well-being related, but I very much lead in my work on men's mental health. So that's kind of probably longer than two minutes, but a potty. No, that, 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 that's great. That's fascinating. And so what is it you do? Do you speak, coach, train? What, what do you do? Yeah, well, I don't do any one-to-one -one coaching at the moment and haven't done for a number of years. So everything that I do is with groups. Uh, they can be, yesterday I was working with a group of eight usually they're much bigger groups so usually it's groups of sort of 50 to 300 generally uh nhs trust councils big businesses that's who i work right. with some institutions associations i know you've done work with the sema i've done quite a bit with sema as well um so yeah that's uh so very much speaking about this stuff some people want a keynote talk that starts conversations and they'll go away and talk about it others want more of a workshop where the conversation is taken further because you have more time to, to break yeah, it up and yeah. really work with the stuff. Yeah. So that's what you do. How do you do it? And I know that's a weird question to ask a speaker and a trainer. So how do you make a difference? How do I make a difference? Uh, when I look at the feedback, um, it tends to be that I start conversations and I talk about quite difficult stuff that is potentially quite divisive and sensitively. But I think my skill, such, such as it is, is that, I can talk about, I'm very open, um, quite humorous with a lot of it and quite light and optimistic. So I get away with broaching subjects that in a lot of organizations would just be no-go areas. But actually we can have, we need to start this. And, and I would say this about a lot of men that I speak, they are fright. It's all very well to say, oh, men should open up. Men should talk more. <laughs> yeah, actually, yeah. men are nervous of yeah. offending people and being cancelled and accused of being anti-woke. So how do we have honest conversations that are respectful, that, that, that do bear in mind that the enormous prejudices and uh, barriers that women have faced over the years, but which also explore some of the barriers today that men now face? Uh, we've made enormous progress in, in many of the areas around gender, and there's still a journey to go on some of that. And we shouldn't want to turn back time, as Andrew Tate appears to want to do. We should move forward, but also beware that there are particular groups of men in particular that are being left, that have been left behind. It shouldn't be wrong to raise that talk about. So many men fear being honest. And I think what I do is create conversations and start those conversations and then make it okay to have those conversations. A lot of guys are just relieved that I'm open about what I've been through as a victim of domestic abuse because my perpetrator was a female. They're just pleased that someone's talking about it. Yeah. Um, and a lot of men are nervous. They don't want to be accused of being, not necessarily anti-woke, but being a misogynist because I'm speaking up for men's rights. And I applaud what you said there about it's, it's okay to think we should speak up, but it's difficult for men to speak up, especially in a tight community like farmers, because they really are a very close-knit community. You know, typically they'll know everyone within a 30-mile radius who's doing what they do. And so there is a lot of peer pressure, they might not be aware of it, to, you know, conform, fit in, don't stand out, and they're all worried about what each other think of them. And 
And so because of that, many of them, they're even most of them very nervous about giving a presentation at the local farmers association or young farmers group, let alone talk about this kind of stuff and how they're yeah. feeling feelings farmers are you mad you know yeah. so so and yet it, it's a challenge that. yeah mm. i mean there's a story that came out of london stuart white was a, an executive working at a very high level in hsbc really uh struggled with depression all his life uh masked that with extreme sports where he's found the time as, as a busy banker um but his what his uh, daughter was self-harming she attempted a life and he opened up, he was really nervous of doing so because he was a high performing executive. He didn't want this to impact his career, but he felt like he couldn't hold it in anymore. And he started a revolution of personal honesty within HSBC. They started having meetings where people came and, and, and sort of let it all go, what, what they were struggling with. Um, and it was a revolution. The whole word of psychological safety, where what that is, is that you feel uh, comfortable yeah. about being vulnerable, open. Uh, if you you know about the mistakes you've made, uh, you're in debt. You'd be okay with saying that within that space. Um, but it starts with people modelling vulnerability, daring to be vulnerable. And there's a collective sign of relief. Oh, thank the Lord for that. Oh, it's you, okay. You use the word. You use the word vulnerability and vulnerable there, and. I'm really happy because you're the expert on this subject. So I'm happy for you to shoot me down in flames for saying what I'm about to say. But in my very simple brummy head, for somebody to feel that low, we think we're at our weakest and our lowest when we're at the bottom of that valley. And yet in that moment to have the courage to stand up and go again and open up, that isn't vulnerability. That's sheer and utter grit and courage in yeah, in my yeah. simple head. Yeah. What, what would your take on that be? Because there's a lot of emphasis on vulnerability when actually the opposite is true for men. Yeah. It's, well, it's, I think what 100%, if you're at your absolute lowest point, to be open and honest takes such extraordinary courage. I guess my point is it's easier to be that courageous if you have a circle that you're in it could be at your within your business it could be a friendship where actually people are just open and vulnerable anyway it's an awful lot easier to do that i play mm. football every friday and we go to the pub afterwards and we talk about every, this thing that men don't talk is just such cobblers and nonsense we talk about everything and anything um but because it's a safe environment guys do open up about marital problems the stuff they're struggling with uh, and in fact one one of the guys he, his situation was that his wife was very ill he thought she, they were going to he was going to lose her they got young children they thought she was going to die she pulled through thank the lord for that that's great wow. um, but the lesson she learned is she doesn't want to be with him anymore and so he's gone through a right roller coaster and they've now split up and the kids are broken hearted he's broken hearted it's really emasculated him he feels like you know yeah. such a failure but he opens up at football because we just, there's just that culture. That's just what we do. So it's, it, you know, what courage for him to open up and be as honest as he is. Yes, I agree with that, but I, I'm not surprised either because that's what we do as guys on a Friday within this, that particular circle. So that's why I think it's so important for those of us that can model vulnerability. You've no idea what that's doing for somebody else that go, Oh, actually maybe I could be yeah. open because Nigel has been, and I respect Nigel. In fact, he's done that. Maybe it's okay. So that's why I think it's just so important where we can. My friends Tony Burgess and Julie French, they've got this wonderful thing about what ifing, and just because, especially in the British culture, we're so big on oh, what if it goes wrong? What if I fail? What if I get embarrassed? What if people laugh at me? What if? What if? What if? In a negative context. But if we're going to make massive decisions like being vulnerable, stroke, courageous, opening up, talking to people, asking for help and support, if we're going to do that and we're going to make massive assumptions that it's all going to go wrong, people will laugh at me, it'll be horrible, it'll be the end of me, and we're making that up in our head, surely if we're making stuff up, we may as well make stuff up in equal measure about, well, what if it goes right? What if I what create if this revolution? <laughs> yeah. What, what if I get this amazing new best friend who I never even knew yeah. that well, let alone knew was going through the same or similar to me? Or yeah. what if I meet somebody as a result who says that one thing that's going to make the difference? And it, it's a, it, yeah, we need to what if in a positive yeah. context rather than a negative one. Yeah. And, 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 on every, and on every situation, 
I think that's absolutely right. And in every you've been to the business networking events where someone will say, oh, I signed this deal, did this, did this. And you're like, wow. And then someone says, actually, I've not had any business the last month. And everybody's relieved that that person has said that thing. Because yeah. my business hasn't been that great either. And Mr. Billy, big, you know, going on and on about all his stuff, you know, that's actually it's made me feel really quite rubbish. And so I think you're right. The what ifs, just what if I help one person by being vulnerable, then it's worth it, actually. Um, that's a great point. Yeah, I mean, I, I, I don't know, but I'm sure at farmers meetings, there's a lot of pressure, just like in any business meeting when farmers are together they go how are things oh great yeah. yeah really good and internally they're going oh, i'm three three payments late on that beast of a new tractor i've got i haven't been able to use the tractor because it's rained all summer and, and there's this massive proliferation of sort of negativity that keeps us down so yeah. so andrew let, let's get into some things that could help yeah. people rather than us joyfully talk about the problems so we've talked about the problems the causes the consequences let's talk about some solutions here so from talking to farmers from listening to them there are three main areas i see and that i know there'll be more if anyone's listening to this i know there's lots more but there are three main categories i've seen so far where the biggest cause of stress anxiety stroke depression and a lack of emotional resilience and bounce back ability tend to be the one is around people one is around money finance paying the bills and another one is around uncertainty about the future and my good friend Nigel Risner he says that people aren't afraid of failure I love this he says that nobody's afraid of failing what they're afraid of is uncertainty if you're certain you'll do it and so, so let's let's start with people, people problems, family, workers, the community, the government, people. How how can what what can farmers do if they're struggling with a people issue and it's causing them some angst? What 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 can they do? I think there's a few things. So I'm going to answer that question directly, and I won't be a politician and and sort of dance around on something else. Buckle up, think... people. He's going there. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> people money sir. I'll deal with people in a moment. No, I'll deal with people now. I want to add something to that list, though. You said people, money, uncertainty. And I know we were talking about this when I came onto the program. Um, I'm a big believer when you talk to men's mental health, that there needs to be an education piece for men in general on testosterone, which is a yep. problem that they won't even know that they necessarily have. So can we add that to the list? Because well, that let's, needs to let's, let's start there then, whilst it's fresh in your head. Let's start there. Okay. Can we cover people, money, uncertainty, though? Because I do want to oh. cover those. Yeah, yeah. Oh, yeah, you're not getting off that lightly. Oh, good, good, good. Yeah, so <laughs> the, the problem with testosterone is, is obviously two blokes fighting in a pub will say, oh, there's too much testosterone floating around in that pub. All this ridiculous gambling on Wall Street, it's all that testosterone. But actually, testosterone is massively important for male physical mental health. All the science, all the research is there. Go look it up on chat, GPT, Google, wherever you want. Uh, I've got quite a long list of links if you want them after the after the podcast recording. But there's a huge impact. The lower your levels of testosterone, the more likely you'll have a heart attack, the more likely you'll get prostate cancer, the more likely you'll be depressed. You'll feel down. And you won't necessarily even know that your testosterone levels are plummeted. And just to put things into context, levels hmm. are falling across all age groups and across the world. So that, and this is the point we're at today, a healthy man in his 20s, what's considered normal levels of testosterone today is what would have been considered normal for a man in his 60s in only the 1980s, not that long ago. And we know it's been plummeting since before the 1980s. So the question, Why? if it's so bad on general male physical and mental health which could be why you're responding not so well to some of the problems that you face it could be uncertainty people yeah. money because you just your testosterone and bear in mind as well the lower levels of testosterone you have the worst issues you'll have in the bedroom in terms of erectile dysfunction and all the things uh diet type 2 diabetes the list goes on the lower and we all have much lower levels than our grandfathers would have had at equivalent age that we are today what why is that why 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 are levels falling 
generally modern lifestyle there are there's a lot of research going on about is is there a link with plastics and the problem with ultra processed food is there's so many different chemicals like which one which one is it i mean there's like a million and one things you'd have to test on what we do know is let me give you an example if you consume right now a can of coke and a mars bar about 75 grams of sugar your testosterone will plummet by about 25 percent for the next couple of hours so wow. it doesn't just have an impact on your blood sugars and, and anything else. It has a direct impact on testosterone while your body's creating all the insulin to deal with that sugar you've just dumped into your system. And bear in mind, all of our diets, even if you're not eating the Mars bar, it would be much sugar, much more sugary than it would have been 100 years ago. Vitamin D. Now, maybe in the farming community, uh, people outside a lot more, but there's a huge vitamin D deficiency in the UK. And as I was telling you earlier, um, I lost my libido completely at the beginning of this year. I'm a fit young, well, not that young, 49 now, but to some people I'm still relative. <laughs> I feel like I'm quite young. You keep dropped telling off, yourself that, yeah, Andy. You keep dropped telling. off the face of a planet, didn't know why, uh, and actually it was found that I had chronically low levels of vitamin D. When that was addressed, as it was, uh, everything was fine, because vitamin D is one of the drivers for testosterone production. But we have a vitamin D deficiency problem because, of course, so many of us are indoors, we're on Zoom, not going out as much so another sleep deprivation they've tested this in laboratory settings where men have been sleeping eight hours of night or five hours of night. they've tested the set the same kind of young healthy guys and put them through laboratory so when they're going to five hours a night their testosterone levels the next day are 10 to 15 percent lower than wow. when they're sleeping the full eight hours a night as they should be so all the morning we are more sedentary than we ever were before True. exercise yeah. even if it's just water yeah. you don't even need to be in a gym pumping iron just general exercise also useful for testosterone so when you start thinking about vitamin d sugar obesity can be a problem for um testosterone as well you start to realize actually most of this is modern lifestyle but for me you see you could say oh andrew mind that don't eat that mars bar because of your blood sugars i'll probably still eat the mars bar but if you say andrew as you eat that mars bar your testosterone levels start to plummet knowing how important that is that for me has been a big sort of you know let's get let's get rid wow. of the sugar so let's just have even within our communities you can check your test it's not easy to check your testosterone with the with the nhs but you can check your levels of vitamin d you can get your own well-being in order. It will have an impact on your levels of testosterone in a positive way, which will then have an impact in terms of your just psychology and the way you see the world. So as an absolute fundamental, we need to talk about testosterone. Let, let's get rid of this these, these ridiculous uh, urban myth that it's just this bad thing that makes us more aggressive. It, it makes us more competitive, but the way as humans we, we process testosterone, we... we experience testosterone it's yeah. slightly different from the animal kingdom because we have much larger brains and we have a very modern complex society so and, and farmers and have got and farmers have got such a physical job that they're probably using up a lot of it anyway aren't they well they're less likely to be as sedentary right. as many of us are but obesity can still be an issue for farmers as can be their consumption of sugar smoking and alcohol by the way those are the other lifestyle factors not so great for testosterone either and there are reasons reasons for that so i would say in terms of people money uncertainty really understanding really exploring testosterone all the science is out there it's not junk science it's all bona fide sources but we need to just have those conversations in our communities and you can get you can privately test testosterone levels as well it's the other thing i'd say but coming back to people for me yeah. I, I think some of it so for me at the heart of grit have you read uh, Angela Duckworth's book on grit? I haven't, no. It's a good book. Uh, probably the main book on how you develop grit. Um, I felt like, though, all the way through the book, it's missing a key element. She talks about it's where you have a passion for something and it's where passion and perseverance collide and connect. But I'm like, yeah, but it's not a P and a P. It's an A and a P and a P. It's an app. Because what about acceptance? Because unless you can accept a whole bunch of stuff about how tough life can be, genuinely not fight it, then you're going to lose your passion. So you persevere less. So, for example, oh, we're going to go deep here, aren't we? Yeah, but so, with, with people. Yeah. yeah. Uh, so one of the most common complaints I hear when someone wants to book a burnout or a well-being talk from me is they'll say, yeah, in our job particularly, you know, they're the front line. They really I know every job has stress, but in our job, 
there's particular stress with with, with these particularly but like every single organization says this about their own industry so one point of acceptance is actually it doesn't matter what job you're in there is a huge amount of grief that comes with dealing with people you could change you could become a teacher you yeah. could become a post person i think that's probably more politically correct than saying postman you could become you could become anybody you want you could become a footballer you you have you it, there is grief in every job don't think that there's not there absolutely is just accepting that that people bring grief in every job is a really good starting point i think and, when, and there when, are some when i was in my when i was in, just to reinforce your point there andrew when i was in my 20s I had a little catering business and I used to deliver buffets to offices in and around Birmingham. And there was this one big building on, on the ring road I used to deliver to. It was a nightmare. It was There was no lift. It was just stairs and steps and big, massive doors with brass handles and glass in it. And I used to walk in with these trays, barely able to carry them. And the security guard literally used to sit there reading the sun. And he'd press a button that would unlock a door for me to go through. And I got to know him quite well. And I started joking with him. I said, you've got the easy life, you, eh? I'm the one doing all the work here. And he went, mate, you wouldn't believe how stressful my job is. And he used to joke about this for weeks. And then eventually I said, go on then, what stress have you got? He says, 99% of the time I'm sitting here reading the paper. He says, but every now and again, there's some drug crazed weirdo coming through those doors with an axe. And who are they going to call? Ghostbusters? And I just went, yeah, you're right. I'd rather deliver buffets. <laughs> yeah. and, and again, when I was in Africa, there was a guy um, directing traffic in the middle of the road and he looked so chilled out. And I went, he looks relaxed. And the, the, the African guy driving the Land Rover said, no, he's very stressed. I said, look at him. He's, ne he's, nearly, horizontal. he's, ne he's nearly horizontal. He's that laid back. And he says, no, no, he's very stressed. I said, what, why is he stressed? Because he he's got a good job. And here in Africa, he says, if someone has a good job, extended family from all over the country who are struggling will go and live with him and his family because he's doing well. So he's not just providing <laughs> for his family. He has got more stress than anybody you could imagine because yeah, he's yeah. probably looking after 30 people. And and it's like, like like you say, it's all the hidden layers underneath the surface that 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 cause this friction. So yeah. sorry, I interrupted you. We were no, talking. No, well, and you raise another really important point where when I have people issues and I got better at it. So there's a guy on my road. He's actually stopped driving, thankfully now. But for years, honestly, this guy is the worst driver you've ever seen in your life. Um, <laughs> he's the slowest parker you've ever seen honestly it's like it is beyond belief so what happens on school at school run time which is always when he's like do not move your car i'm going to call him mike that's not his name it's like mike don't move your car now this is this is bad and i see it out my front window like the cars lining up the two in the hall people swearing shouting screaming. johnny was getting so worked up what they don't know is he has parkinson's and his wife can't drive and he now can't drive he's thankfully stopped but i think the other thing with people issues particularly is you just never know what, what someone else's story is and i know that we all know that but i actually i sort of remind myself of that on a daily basis when people are really irritating me i don't know what their story is why have they gone and had an operation on the nhs my sister gets very cross about this uh they, they've had some lung surgery done and they're still outside smoking this is an outrage i'm not paying my taxes but yeah, but you don't know what journey they've been on as a person which led them to right. smoke, which why yeah. they now struggle to give it. You know nothing about their life and what they deal with. So, I mean, I, I do. I mean, in my role today, probably where do I get real difficult people issues? Not that many, to be fair. But I've worked in the third sector. I've worked in the charity sector. I've worked. I've had to manage teams of of hard to engage volunteers where whole services have depended on those volunteers who are the last people you'd ever employ. And I've run around in circles chasing after them, doing my best to try and develop them and tearing my hair out. But actually, they've all got really difficult stories that I don't have. And so I try to, when I'm feeling hit up and annoyed, I try to remind myself of what are the things actually I just need to accept and stop fighting against in this situation. I know it's difficult, um, 
but not knowing someone else's story. And bear in mind, uh, when I felt, when I was going through my, uh, when I was in my abusive marriage, I was working for a busy recruitment firm. They were all nice guys that I worked with. Don't get me wrong. They were good people, but everybody, no one showed vulnerability. It was everyone's best bits on display. I couldn't tell them what was going on. And I became a rubbish employee, last in, first out, unfocused, tired, because my ex-wife would always try and start arguments at like three in the morning. I'd be asleep and I'd wake up to her shouting at me. I'd be like, whoa. But then, but then I'd be trying to manage her and wanting to go back to sleep, but couldn't she keep me awake? And so I had all this stuff going on and I couldn't tell anyone because I just no one showed vulnerability. So you don't know what's going on for the person who's just done something really stupid that has now affected your plans for the day. And it is annoying, but I try to remind myself of that so I don't get too worked up about it and some of that then can lead you see you can we all know what catastrophizing is where small inconveniences work their way through the day they become a bigger problem you've had the worst day ever and i really try to be on it because i used to be a catastrophizer and i'm much better now at saying actually this is a mild problem the day's not going the way that i want it to at the moment but the universe is not against me actually this is these are just random occurrences that appear to have occurred today and that's okay. And I'm, if I go home and have a cup of tea and can just put the kettle on and there's running water, I'm so much more privileged, even on this day of inconvenience, than so many more. And so a lot of the people, it is mind games. You do need to have boundaries uh, when people overstep the mark. And, and listen, as an HR manager, I, I've had to have disciplinaries with someone whose BO was so bad that it was intolerable for everyone else to work with that person. That is not an easy conversation to have with someone but but we have to have boundaries. We have to have difficult conversations. It's the way the world works. Um, but it's we, helpful. We, we were we were t- we were talking in a previous podcast about how the reason most people leave employment on a farm isn't work conditions or anything. Typically, it's the attitude of the boss yeah. and the leadership style. And so, it's not only important that we take into account other people. We also need to check ourselves and the impact we're having on those around us. Yeah. Yeah. And and we can change it not for the best either. So I've worked with a, with a boss where we she was great but then she took on an MBA and it really that extra workload for her she became more remote from the business. Um and our relationship struggled because, and and she if ever I used to point things out to her and we'd have a good conversation about it so there was psychological safety if I disagreed with a, a way things were but towards the end she just was so grumpy with me and I was just like what's the point what's the point so I didn't reveal where I felt things were going wrong which might have been in her interest to know as a CEO uh, because I just so we need we absolutely need to stay on top of how we are are we approachable we should be you can still have firm boundaries and not put up with things that you know you don't need Mm -hmm. to tolerate and and set standards but actually making sure you're approachable is just so important at all time in spite of setting those standards so the guy that the uh the difficult conversation around him is bo i can still have that respectfully and be caring of him while setting those boundaries and treating him right. So at least he knows, you know, a year or two later, he did resign in the end, but he was treated okay by us in that situation. It's so important. So we've touched on what is a very deep subject around people. Now let's talk about the one thing that at some point in our lives, be it personally or in a business, all of us have some stress caused by, which is money, the flow of it. A transaction, having too much money at the end of the month or too much month left at the end of the money. And any tips for people that how to think and behave differently right. around I'm, that? I'm not a money expert, but what I will say, uh, I've been in debt. I've been in difficult financial times. I've been in times of plenty. I'll be completely honest. I'm in, I'm in a good time right now uh, in terms of financially. What I've noticed, though, and this is where, and I know it's probably going to sound fairly obvious, at the times when I was in debt, the time when I should most be checking my post and doing my budgeting, that was the time when I least didn't want to do it because it was stressful. It was horrible. Like, I didn't want to open my post. So I fully understand why, you know, how people, some people are in debt and you're like, yeah, but their post's an open house. Stupid. No, 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 not stupid. I totally get that. I'm quite happy to budget today. I'll look at my bank account all <laughs> long day long. It's not stressful. And so I think 
it is really hard if you are struggling financially. And, and I know it's same old, same old advice in some ways, but having someone around you that can work with you so you're not on your own, because I think having that extra insight is really helpful. Um, someone that you trust, someone that you can do it with, even if they can't resolve yes. the issue, you're not alone. Um, that's really, really important. Um, I think making sure you just try to take action, um, but then in a way as well, trying to switch off. So I do know, so some people say, well, how do I stop worrying? Because like it's keeping me asleep at night. Um, as an ex-chronic worrier, there's no easy answer to stopping worries because you want the problem to go away. That's what you want. But I know there's a habit called worry time. Have you ever heard of worry time? I haven't, no. Yeah, yeah. So I, cause I used to be on all these worry forums because I was a chronic ex-worrier. Nails bitten to the quick every day, fingers bleeding and all that. Really nice stuff. If it wasn't my nails on my fingers, it was my toes. And, you know, that's just the way I how I process worry. But worry time works on the basis. My wife's found worry time helpful. I have to say, for me personally, it didn't do a lot. But for a lot of people that worry, they say it's really useful. It's going to sound a bit crazy. Uh, is that they set aside, they literally schedule it into their diary 10 minutes a day to worry about whatever. Now, you'd have thought, well, surely if I was advising someone to give up smoking, you wouldn't tell someone when well, you've got 10 minutes, smoke a cigar, smoke a split, smoke whatever <laughs> you want to. And then after that, you're going to have 23 hours and 50 minutes off. Okay. And it will really help. I mean, that'd be ludicrous. But with worry time, the, the point of it is you have it at the same time every day. You try and follow the same routine with it. So if you break state, maybe a coffee or something like that, and you have time where you literally worry about it, but then the rest of the day, you're like, no, I, I will spend time dwelling on this at that point, and I will worry about it, and I've got worry time coming because you do it every day. And, and it's accepting you, what's real. Yeah, yeah, you've got to worry. Yeah. It, but But it's about that. A lot of worriers find that it just helps them constrain it to a certain time. And that that's quite therapeutic. Um, and it doesn't mean that you're then avoiding the issue necessarily because you're thinking about it during your worry time. The idea with worry time is you don't schedule an hour for it, but that you keep it reasonably short and concise and you do something nice at the end of it. So you sort of break that's, state yeah. and come yeah, out I, of it. I applaud that. And I, th I think there, I think farmers listening to this will be able to assimilate to this because they do spend a lot of time by themselves overthinking things. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and if we're doing that in relation to our finance and money, we're not focusing on managing ourselves around money effectively. Yeah. So, yeah, and, and it's important, again, you, you've highlighted there, we've got to work with what's real. And if what's real is we're in a bit of a tight spot, the most important thing is to deal with it as soon as possible, not put it off. And that's it's very easy for us to say this, and it's difficult to do. But remember, at the top of the call, we talked about how we've got to be courageous. You know, so put down the Mars bar, get a bit of it mid D, get that testosterone flowing and let's let's do something about it because you are not alone and you'll be amazed how many people A are in your position and B are out there to help you. If yeah, only and I think, you can yeah. ask. And I you know, I know everyone's got mixed opinions on Jeremy Clarks and I'm I'm not a keen fan, but I think one of the uh, benefits of the program that came out of uh, the farming stuff that he did on it on Amazon is I do think people get how difficult for it did underline the fact that here's this guy pots and pots of money and cash but but it made very clear that actually he was if you didn't have that cash like how on earth do you survive? so people do get it and and, and I, I think it's just so important that you don't do it alone there's always a way forward however bad stuff gets there's always a way forward so don't don't do it alone. And I think where we then spend all the time on our own, we try to do it alone. That's where everything can just come in on us and it can feel like there's no hope. But when you bring other people into the situation, you realize that there is a way forward, maybe some difficult decisions and painful decisions, but there is always a way forward. And I think some of that is dealing with often when when something's not worked out, we've poured our heart and soul into it. We've, we've lost a lot. We've lost cash. We've lost time. We've lost energy. Um, it can feel like it's all been a huge, colossal waste. And I'm a firm believer uh, that nothing is actually ever completely wasted. 
and that the skills we we learn and the strengths that we develop through these crushing defeats we don't know at the time how they'll bless us 10 years later but they will and they it's can they enable yes. us to bless other people and a really stupid example and i'll try and keep it concise uh, when i came out of my abusive marriage i entered a period uh, i went through a period of great depression then i went on a life coaching course surrounded by insanely positive people who are really annoying most of them and I came up with this genius plan that I was going to make my fortune as a children's writer. You know, J.K. Rowling, get lost. You, you've not seen anything yet because Andrew Payne is here. My name would be emblazoned on every Waterstone store. And I tried and I tried. I wrote, I crafted, I spent years, literally, well, two years. And I, and the literally hundreds of uh, applications, the rejection letters flooded back. My mum thought the books were good, but she was the only person. But in that year of struggle, in that year of complete self-delusion, of two utterly wasted years, I didn't have a job living off my mum and dad's charity at home. Um, and I was so crushed when I finally said, I'm not going to be children, but I've given this two years. I've literally, all I've written is a pile of crap. Um, but several years later, I became a bid writer for a charity. Uh, not I've got any training, but they needed a bid writer. And I said, well, look, I, I'm a failed children's writer. It, it felt hard to say that, but I was able to say it. Over the course of the years, I've raised over a million quid for them in bids. Wow. Um, in fact, that was over a three-year period. So it goes to show, but those are with skills that were developed during a year of total delusion, foolish delusion. What made me think, you know, I didn't have any writing ability and it wasn't a well-thought-out plan at all. Um, and I'm so glad, in a way, I had those years of delusion. Those, those years of delusion kept people in jobs, uh, when COVID hit, we didn't need to furlough anybody. We grew as an organization because the money poured in because the bids I was writing based on skills developed during these two years of utter delusion. So I firmly believe even if you come to the absolute end of your road on stuff, there is always a way forward. And those skills and the pain and suffering you go through, you've no idea how that might bless you 10 years later. You won't see it then. We can't. We don't predict the future. So that's just the way I see it. I'm sure there's a lot of people nodding at this to think about moments where they thought they were at the end and that turned out to be the best thing they did. Yeah, absolutely. So we are fast running out of time, Andrew. So let's let's very quickly and briefly, uh, for the last thing, touch on uncertainty about the future because we all know about food security, how bad the weather is and the farming is a political football and whims change, tastes change and we're not eating seasonally so we've got no sustainability and we're importing spring onions from Egypt and it's not sustainable. So farmers are at the whim of so many things. Uncertainty about the future is a huge problem, huge problem. So very quickly, one or two top tips that could help people manage their uncertainty. No pressure. No, no pressure, pressure at all. Uh, <laughs> you open up a very long debate, which we can't have. Some people would say uncertainty, tough decisions, so many variables. I need to trust my gut. All about gut instinct, all about your heart and all of that problem when you deal with your gut and you just you you, you think about what's out and you just go with your gut. Is your gut's flawed? It's horribly flawed. No one ever says that. If I put a post out on social media saying your gut's flawed, I'll get no engagement. If I put a post out saying it's all about the gut, everyone will like it and share. Oh, yeah, yeah. Your gut is where all your values are. Absolute nonsense. Your gut's flawed because it's shifted and shaped by over 180 common human biases. Your gut's flawed because it's based on your memories. Your memories are flawed. What you remember didn't happen. It's mistaken. Even <laughs> if you gave it an accurate, even if at the time, the memory that formed is an accurate and balanced summary of what happened. It will fade and mix with other memories over the years. Neuroscience shows it. your right. gut is flawed. So the first thing I would say is do not just act with your gut alone. You can consult with your gut, but please, and, and, and for some of you, you be thinking, well, obviously I'm going to look at the data, but you need some kind of, I would say, decision-making process, which means that you're not paralyzed by all the data uh, there is a clickbait stat here. Don't tell, don't ask me the origins because I, I ended up in some very dark places on the internet. But apparently the average human absorbs 74 gigabytes of information every day today, wow. which is the same amount of information we would have absorbed in a lifetime only 500 years ago. Now, that's not bona fide uh, the, the sources of that. It was on yeah, CNN, yeah. so it must be right. But the point is, <laughs> the, 
the point is, um, you know, we are bombarded by information, but gut-based thinking is hugely dangerous, in my opinion. So some kind of a process. So I have really like five steps that I look at generally when I'm looking at a problem uh, that enables me to consult with my gut, but but protects me as best we can. It's it's a heuristical way of looking at it, where you have a rule of thumb approach to your big problems. You go through the steps, and then a decision must be made one way or the other. Um, so first thing I would do is, well, how much time genuinely do I have to make the decision? Because it could be that I've got three weeks, in which case there's an awful lot I can do to investigate what what's out there about that thing but if i've literally got five minutes then it might just literally be a quick chat of check of chat gbt and phone a mate you know that's the key point how much time do you have then it's about gathering data and saying okay what information is out there and being yeah. clear that anchoring bias one of these 180 common human biases means that the first piece of credible evidence that we'll see we'll probably base everything on that so it's trying to be aware of actually no i'm going to try to keep an open mind i know anchoring bias will get me but i will try to sift through a number of different things i'll ask certain people that maybe maybe they i wouldn't have asked them before my wife's a midwife she i ask her about the speaking business or you know what should i because i want that extra insight and i i you are uh involved in mentoring me as well which is great i'm on your program for next year i've worked with you before that's fantastic uh so having having a real clear set of that information, really thinking through the information. Step three is what's missing. There's always something missing. My biases will always lead me to the same old people, or maybe there's a way of looking at the problem. I need to turn it on its head. So I always check in with kind of, well, what's missing? The fourth step for me is really important. Um, when I look at a problem, sketch out what does bold and safe look like? Or if you don't like those words, robust and reserved look like as an approach <laughs> to the problem. It doesn't really matter. But sketch out what does this require of I me? Mean, what are the risks of taking a very bold approach? What are the risks? What does it require of I me mean, taking a much safer approach? I, I actually am a believer there's a time for both. There's a time for playing it safe. And there's a time for being bold. But if you're always playing it safe, you're not going to get very far. If you're always playing it bold, there'll come a time where you probably trip up very badly. You Absolutely. need to get them both yeah. out. Yeah. Step five, make a decision. And if the decision is do nothing, then there needs to be a really solid reason why you're going to do nothing. And that needs to be, you need to have your parameters in place. At what point do I check back in with that? If I'm doing nothing, uh, it might be that I'm just going to observe for, for a week. Maybe I've got a people problem. So that's how I work. It means that I can make a decision quickly. How much time have I got? What information do I need? What's missing? Bold versus safe. Make a damn decision. But it means that I protect myself from the flaws of my gut because I'm conscious my gut is flawed. So it's not an easy, you know, I can't change. The world is uncertain. All I would say is someone that used to be a terrible decision maker. If, if it was a toss up between going to Tesco's or Sainsbury's, I'd have had to sleep on a decision like that in a former life. But now <laughs> I am quite decisive and having a strategy just helps me because I can when I've got a big problem, I can just work through my step by step. And you look at pilots, you know, they, they, they're responsible for delivering plane loads of passengers. They have checklists for every kind of problem you can imagine. Checklists that have been created through people's blood, uh, plane crashes, death. And they have the formulated these lists that work so that when they're up there and everything's going wrong, they follow the procedure and it helps because there's a sense of calm. They know the steps they're going to go through. If you ask me what my five-step process is in Aldi on a Saturday morning when I've got my kids and I'm feeling flustered, I could still tell you that. That's why it's five steps, not 10, because it was 10 steps. I'm never going to do all 10 when I'm stressed, never going to remember them. If it was two steps, I'm pretty much acting with my gut and I, and I want to I want to be better than that. So to help with uncertainty, follow these five steps and then do something. Take some action. I like that. So, guys, ladies listening to this, we've picked Andrew's brain now for, for gosh, getting on for 50 minutes now. I've really enjoyed this podcast. We could keep doing this for hours. I love it. <laughs> uh, yeah. But we've we've gone a bit deep in places. We've talked about how to manage people, how to manage money, how to manage uncertainty and the fear of the future. Uh, we've talked about the five steps. My friends, I think what it comes down to is being bold, to use Andrew's word or my word, courageous enough to do something, start talking to people, start managing ourselves a little better so that not only do we serve our team and our family right, but we look after ourselves right as well. 
Andrew, a genuine privilege. How if people want to get hold of you, um, tell them where they can get hold of you, and also mention your podcast name again. I would say my podcast. So there's a different man each week with his. It'll always be his his story, and we pick up sort of his thoughts apart on masculinity. It's called Men on Show on all the major channels. It's on YouTube. Uh, it has just been an audio podcast, but I'm moving to video as well for you, so I can utilize YouTube a bit more. Um, I'm really easy to find. I always crack this joke in all my talks, and and everyone sort of groans and sort of chuckles. And my surname is Payne, P-A-I-N. My initial is A. You'd have thought my parents would have thought about that, but they didn't. <laughs> but it makes me very easy to find on social media because there's not many people. So Andrew Payne, really easy to find. Um, LinkedIn is probably where I'm most active, but I am on all the social media platforms. I have a website, Chuck in Andrew Payne. And you'll see my website. It's it's always a pleasure to connect with people. And if you connect with me, I promise I won't spam you. So that's it. We've done 12. You've got a whole year's worth that you can go back to and draw upon of knowledge, expertise from the great Paul Harris. A little bit from me. Other people, including farmers, well-being experts, health health experts. I'm just looking up my list here. How to run a family business, do presentations, innovation and sustainability. We talked about overcoming adversity, the future. Do you remember that? We talked, and the pig farmer, James Cantrell, who diversified massively. Uh, I'm still looking at the chart. We dealt with imposter syndrome. We had Farmer Jim, the comedian Farmer Jim. That was a cool one. Um, I, I, I went to a gym on a farm and hurt myself with a ball. And I suggested you should do the same. That was a weird one. Um, we talked about recruitment, employment, well-being, planning and goal setting, presentation, sorry, personality styles and how to build your team and communication styles. My friends, in these podcasts, you've had information worth thousands of pounds that if you were to pay for it, pay for these people directly. The biggest compliment you can pay any of these people that I've just talked about is to do something. Use it. Change the way you manage people. Change the way you manage yourself. Change the way you manage your farm in a way that's right for you and your family and your team. But above all and everything else, I urge you all to go out there and set a big goal and take action on it. If you've enjoyed the sessions, I'm David Heiner. If you haven't, I'm Rishi Sunak. Have a fantastic, have a fantastic time and remember to set massive goals. See you soon, maybe on another Just for Farmers. Mm -hmm.